is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you. And all I have in you, and all I have in you, is more than enough. Thank you, Jesus, that you're more enough for all of us. Lord, you take care of every need and every want. Father God, you're with us through all the happy times and all the storms, and I just praise you for that. I ask you just to be with us and guide us today through this service, Lord. Let us feel your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we come into this house of worship, part of worship is, is receiving and part of worship is giving. Help us to remember that you are the focus of what we do here, not any of us, but to turn our eyes upon you, to turn our hearts toward you, to turn our resources toward you as an acknowledgement that you own everything. And you've just placed us here as stewards to see how well we will do with what you've entrusted to us for a few years. So take what we, we offer, which already belongs to you, but in the act of giving is an acknowledgement of your ownership. And use it, Lord, in a mighty way to serve your kingdom in this community and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Living my 
All right, thanks, guys. How are y'all this morning? Good. I bring you greetings from Disney World. It's still there. It's still hot. It's still crowded. It's still expensive. It's the happiest place on earth. <laughs> Catherine and I always get tickled about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon when parents have been pushing kids around in strollers. About 3 or 4 in the afternoon, the kids start crying. I mean, <laughs> And I look at Catherine and say, the happiest place on earth. And she goes, yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to bring a message this morning just on the gospel. I am not ashamed, Romans 1, 16 and 17. The sermon is entitled, I am not ashamed. Romans 1, you're probably familiar with these verses. They're great verses. Paul encapsulates the gospel in his book to the Romans. Basically, in the first eight chapters, he talks about salvation by faith. And that was radically different from every other religion that had ever existed or ever will exist for that matter because every religion teaches that you've got to do something to earn your salvation. You've got to qualify these things. You've got to earn these merit badges. You have to climb this ladder. You've got to die and come back and, and, and be a better person and, and die again and come back and you will eventually progress to nirvana or whatever. But Jesus comes and he says, no, salvation is by faith in me. And Paul takes that message and he translates it in a way that people can understand and comprehend and receive. And what he says in verses 16 and 17 is, about, is, the, is the focus of, of his letter to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. You don't understand how radical this message is unless you realize the environment in which Paul preached it. I mean, the, the Jewish religion, which was prevalent where Paul was preaching, was saying, you've got to obey all the laws. And the, and the moment that all the Jews obey all the laws, the Messiah will come. You've got to do this. And, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees would lay out what the average man had to do, and he could never live up to it. And so he was constantly struggling. A constant burden of the law was, was laid upon them. Paul says, as far as Judaism goes, I was, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was... I was a Jew among Jews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I had climbed as far up the ladder as anyone ever had or ever could. And Paul said, I've come to realize that salvation is by faith. Paul didn't come to that understanding by himself. It happened on the road to Damascus. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's pray. Father, as we come today to consider salvation by faith... Even here in America, we're taught the work ethic. We're taught to work hard and earn and do well and succeed. And, and, and it's so easy to transfer that concept over into religion, into our faith, into Christianity. And so when someone comes and says, stop struggling, admit your need and receive me, it's, it's hard for us to change gears 
so drastically. And so help us today to believe and trust and receive. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul had never been to Rome. It's one of the few cities that he writes a letter to that he had never visited. But he knew a lot of folks there. And he was aware of how prominent the church in the capital of the Roman Empire had become. And so Paul sets down and he, he writes out his thesis, his gospel, his understanding of the gospel as it was presented to him in these 16 chapters. And so Romans has been called the most comprehensive presentation of the gospel to one of the most important cities by one of the most important preachers in the first century. And Paul encapsulates salvation by faith. It's by faith. And and every time a revival breaks out somewhere, if you go down through the Middle Ages and the 18th, every time revival breaks out, it's because somebody started reading Romans again. And as a result of that, it, it just energized, it, it innervated people into realizing, into thinking that, yes, Jesus did it all for me on the cross. And what I need to do is to place my faith in that and believe in that and trust in that and receive it. It's not by works. It's not anything I have ever done or ever could do to justify Jesus' death for me on the cross or to earn my salvation. It's all about what Jesus has done for me and receiving it. And when people realize that, revival breaks out over and over again. Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, he began studying Romans and and he realized that everything the Catholic Church had been teaching was wrong. The salvation came by faith and a reformation was begun. Paul explains what it means to be saved by faith. And as we look at the outline, I'm going to focus on verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The Greek word is euangelion. It comes, it's a cognate from two words. EU is a prefix meaning good. Anytime you see a word that has EU in the beginning of it, it's going to mean something good or positive. We have transferred that over to the English language so many times. Angelion means message. The, the word angel comes from that. Uh, an angel is a messenger. An angel is someone who brings a message. So euangelion is good message. It's good news. And it came to mean the gospel. It originally meant a reward given to somebody who brought good news. And then eventually over time it just came to mean the good news itself. Good news. The gospel is good news. Good news about what? Well, most of the time that good news, the gospel is referred to in the New Testament is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. What good news? That Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose again, and that he lives to offer us salvation by faith. That's the good news. And in Paul's day, that was radical news. As I mentioned, every other religion, even Judaism, taught what you had to do, what you had to go through, what you had to earn for your salvation. But here comes Paul saying, no, all that that I was taught, that I believed, that I lived was wrong. To be saved, you have to believe by faith.
and how different that is for us to hear today. As I said, America, you know, we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want to work hard and achieve success. And yet when we come to our faith in Jesus Christ, it says, you can't work hard enough. You can't do enough to justify being forgiven for your sins. I did that for you on the cross. Believe it. Receive it. Accept it. Acknowledge your need of it. Stop struggling and admit that you can't do it. And receive salvation by faith. God made a way. We, we were estranged from God. We were at enmity with God who created us for fellowship, for a relationship with him. Our sin came in and interfered in that relationship. And God is so holy and so righteous and so perfect and so just. He could not have fellowship with anyone that bore sin. And so Jesus died on the cross, had no sin of his own to be forgiven, so he was able to atone for our sins. And our sins could be washed away by believing in Jesus. And once again, we could be brought back into relationship with God because our sins had been removed. And that which kept us from fellowship had been removed. And we can be in harmony with the Holy One because Jesus made us holy by the forgiveness of of our sins. That is good news. That is the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. A lot of folks today are ashamed of it. Paul is not. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith or everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The word for power there, you've heard this before, is the Greek word dunamis. Power. Now, you know, we we read this is the power of God. We think, okay, that's power of God. But you've lost the kind of power that Paul is talking about here. Because we get the word dynamite from the word dunamis. So you want to know what kind of power Paul is talking about? He's talking about dynamite power. It is the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel has power like dynamite. It comes into your life and it blows up everything that you have ever believed, that you have ever understood because it tells you you, you're not good enough, your works will not earn salvation. It's by believing in Jesus Christ and faith in him. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he changed for all time how we are saved. And when he spread his arms out on the cross, he created an umbrella for salvation. And to get under that umbrella and be saved, you have to believe. It's not by works. It's by faith in Jesus. You get under that umbrella by believing. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, it has the dynamite power to transform lives, to change lives. You don't like how you are today. You don't like the person you're becoming. You don't like what you see in the future for yourself. You can change. Hear me? You can change, but it's not your power that does it. It's the dynamite power of the gospel that changes you from the inside out. It changes you radically. It's not a a gradual, you know, kind of a substantive change over time. It is a dynamite dynamic 
change that takes place. When Jesus comes into a person's life, he brings his power and he changes us for salvation. Jeannie Bracca, on, you know, I'm, as soon as I say the date, November, um, September 11, 9-11-2001, switched on the TV one morning at 9 a.m. She was going to get the weather for that day. Her husband, Al, had left for work early that morning. He worked on the 105th floor of Tower One in the World Trade Center. He was a commodities broker for, uh, what's the name? Cantor Fitzgerald, 105th floor. Um, and he, he hated his job. He said, that, he said the people there are as far from Christ-like as he could imagine. He, hated, he was a Christian. And he and his wife prayed for opportunities to share his faith with his co-workers. He wanted to quit, but he saw the fact that, that God had placed him there as, as an opportunity to be a light in the darkness. Well, when Jeannie Bracca saw the, the first plane hit Tower One, and she realized her husband was in that building, you know, she, was, she and her son were both devastated. Al realized that on the 105th floor there was no escape. They couldn't go down. They couldn't go up. And so after his body was found several days later, um, people began telling Jeannie through emails, through voice messages, through telephone calls that Al had taken the last minutes of his life to witness to his co-workers. He, he, um, people called him Reverend Al because he was the closest thing to a minister in that group. And Al realized, I guess in that moment, why God had placed him there. And he had been praying for salvation and, and his messages and, and emails from other co-workers said that Reverend Al was praying for them and he, he led 50 people to salvation in those final minutes of their lives uh, by, by praying with them as a group. They came to him, they knew that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Even in a hostile work environment, God had him there for a reason. And that power of the gospel broke out on that 105th floor in the final minutes of those people's lives when they realized that everything was about to change for them. And they were about to come face to face with God. He shared the power of God the gospel unto salvation. And people believed and were saved. You want to know about transformation. All you got to do is think about the person who wrote these verses. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Think about Paul. Let me back up here. Acts 9 verses 1 and 2. Talk about Paul's former life. And uh, sometimes I think we kind of gloss over the transformation that took place in Paul's life and get to that part which is so prominent in the New Testament where he's writing the letters and he's preaching and he's teaching, but you've got to remember what Paul was like and the road he was headed toward. Acts 9 verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was what the first Christians were called, people of the way. 
men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul's purpose in going to Damascus, he had letters, he had authorization to arrest any Christian on the spot and drag them back to Jerusalem to be tried before the Sanhedrin. That was his reason for going to Damascus. That was the reason he'd gone to any other city up until that point. He was authorized to arrest Christians and try them and persecute them. And then something happened to Paul. Verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. And you know the story how Saul was stricken blind and he went um, into a house on a street called Straight and there remained three days blind and a disciple named Ananias was told by the Lord to go and minister to Paul and heal him. His sight was restored, and in a few days, Paul was testifying in the churches. Let me read the verse, 16. I'm sorry, verse 20. In the synagogues, immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called on his name. He's come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest. Even the people in Damascus could not believe the change in this man named Paul. If I were in Damascus, I'd think he's trying to go undercover. He's trying to, to worm his way into the church to find out who all the Christians are that he might serve them letters of arrest and bring them to Jerusalem. I'd be skeptical because this man had done nothing but wreak havoc on the churches. He had preached against Jesus. He had done anything he can to harm people of the way, the church. And yet here he is now preaching Jesus as the way to salvation. How do you explain that radical, dramatic transformation? It's the power that Paul talks about. Now you know why he's able to say it here, because he had experienced it himself. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. How do I know that? Because it happened to me. He did it to me. He changed me. Friends, if, if God has not gotten a hold of you with the radical power of the gospel, then you need to, you might be saved, but he might not be totally Lord of your life. There might be some areas that you haven't turned over to him, and he wants to take hold of you, and he wants to turn you inside out, and he wants to become the radical Lord. That, that releases dynamite in your life, that blows up all the old ways of doing things and transforms you into a completely new person. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He met Jesus and he experienced the power of the gospel. And it changed him from being one who persecuted the church to one who preached to the church. You don't get any more different than that. Well, that happened to Paul. That's fine. What about you and me? Well, it says here, it is for salvation to everyone who has faith. So what does that mean? It means it's available to all. But there's a qualifier. It's available to all who believe, to all who have faith. 
Everyone can be included. The possibility exists out there. The potential is there for all to be saved. But not everyone will be included. Why? Because not everyone wants to be. Not everyone wants to be. Not everyone has received Jesus. Not everyone believes. It says, to all who have faith, who believe. You have to believe. And I remember, I remember how hard it was to believe for me. The struggle of faith. I, I came up, I'm a left brain thinker. I'm very logical. Things have to make sense. I was a science major in college for several years, and, and I wanted experiments that I could see and feel and measure and touch and understand with logic, something rational that could be repeated like experiments are supposed to be. And so to get to this point where Jesus says, you have to believe, you have to have faith. It was a struggle. I read C.S. Lewis's book um, the Chron- in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a story where, where Peter and Lucy pass through this door and they discover this beautiful land where everyone is enjoying themselves in this wonderful land. You know the story it came out as a movie several years ago and suddenly it launched its popularity again. Aslan is the lion who represents Christ. Peter and Lucy are these children. They come through into this land, and everybody's enjoying this delicious food, this beautiful environment, except the dwarves. The dwarves are sitting in a little circle, and all they do is complain. The food is bitter. Their enemies are out to get them. Nothing satisfies them. Nothing pleases them. And Lucy looks at Aslan and says, can't you do something to help the dwarves? And Aslan says, I'll show you what I can do, and I'll show you what I cannot do. So Aslan roared, representing his presence among them, and the dwarves thought it was their enemies. And then Aslan shook his mane, and beautiful food appeared before them, but they refused to taste it. And when they did it, they said it was bitter. Everything he did, the dwarves were able to twist and misinterpret and misrepresent. And so Aslan looked at Lucy and said, You see, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning. They have chosen to believe their minds instead of believe their hearts. Their prison is only in their minds, and yet they are in that prison, and they're so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. Don't you know some people like that who consider themselves so intelligent that the gospel doesn't make complete sense to them, doesn't seem logical to them, and so they cannot take that step of faith that element of belief that's required. But all you've got to do is open your eyes and see God around you. All you need to do is open your heart and feel his hand. All you've got to do is taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Your senses will not betray him. They will reveal him. And you can believe and have faith and take that step that once taken will only confirm further the faith that's required to get through it. In 1951, Red Skelton, remember Red Skelton, the comedian? He was on a plane with some friends flying to London to to do a program at the London Palladium. He was going to do a, you know, a, a comedian routine. Well, as they're flying across the Swiss Alps, three of the plane's four engines failed. And, and so Red Skelton started, you know, telling jokes and going into some of his routine to keep everybody calm because it was getting desperate. They were running low on fuel and um, they didn't know what was going to happen. Well, miraculously, the pilot in the Alps spotted a field large enough to land on. And he set that plane down on that field gently and, and everybody on the board survived. And Red Skelton said, now, ladies and gentlemen, you may all return to the evil habits you promised to give up 20 minutes ago. Isn't that the way it is so often? We make promises in times of crisis. And then when those times pass, we return to our customary manner of life and way of doing things. But Paul says, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that because there is dynamite power available to transform you. It's called the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of it. Paul's not ashamed of it. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you need not be ashamed of it. It is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew, to the Greek, to you, and to me. It is available. And it will change you and it has power that you need not be ashamed of. And once you receive it, you'll never be the same again. I've told y'all before, but the screensaver on my computer, um, I think about, I put it up there because after 20 minutes of staring at the screen, I need to be reminded of what I'm doing. Um, And it says, the greatest argument for Christianity is a transformed life. The greatest argument for Christianity is a transformed life. You can get into argument with an atheist. You can get to an argument with an agnostic. And you can argue theology and you can debate different points of of faith and, and life and that kind of thing. But let me tell you something that person can never argue against. That person can never debate a life that's been transformed by Jesus. Paul says he's not ashamed because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let that power loose in your life. And it will be so transformed in such a way that people cannot argue against the difference that Jesus has made in you. Let's bow together.
Father, many of us here this morning have invited you into our lives, and yet we still live so conformed to the world that there's little difference between us and them. (laughs) We're supposed to be the salt and light. We're supposed to have this dynamite power exploding within us, this, this call salvation through faith. And if we're truly not ashamed of it, then it will burst out all over us in ways that are undeniable and people will look at it and say, that person is different. I want what that person has. They've been transformed by something. What a great argument for Christianity that life has become. Father, we want to be lives like that. We want to be so sold out to Jesus, so exploded by the dynamite of the gospel that the changes are undeniable. The changes are overwhelming, are contagious. And people will not argue against us, but want to be a part of us. Forgive us for living lives of ease in a world that's so, that's out to conform us to it rather than allowing us to transform it to you. Help us live lives like that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning. And what this is, some people say, what's an invitational hymn? It's a format. It's, it's an opportunity for you to respond publicly if God is speaking to you. We believe that an important part of worship is response. There has to be an opportunity to respond to God, his pleading on your life, his claim on your life, professing your faith publicly. You've done so privately, wonderful. You also need to share that publicly so that we can pray for you and hold you accountable and encourage you. Maybe you need to join this church. You've been visiting for a while and you say, yes, I need to, I need to become a part of this body of Christ and take up a mantle of responsibility and begin serving. Maybe you need to rededicate your life or whatever. Come and pray, whatever. I'll be here to receive.